Hi, everybody. Good morning. I want to invite our children to Children's Church. Your teacher will meet you in the back. I, I just got to say, that song that we sang right before the sermon, that was so rich. That was so great. Just this morning, a friend of mine, he's planting a church in um, Massachusetts, which is really rocky soil there. It's really hard to plant. And he said, I finally reached the TSS stage. And that meant this sermon stinks. <laughs> He's only been preaching for maybe you know eight or nine months, and so he's finally to that point. And so I wanted to encourage him, and I said, you know, it's a good thing to be at the TSS stage because you have to remember what preaching is, is God speaking to his people, and your job is just to not get in the way. So um, I, I, I have had sermons where I walked away from the pulpit and go, man, did I miss that? And then people come up and say, that was fantastic. I really needed to hear that. So I wanted to encourage him with that, but I also want to encourage you. You know, this is just like that song was saying is this is God speaking to us. And my role is to just stand up in front and try to not mess it up. But God, let God speak to us. And that's that for me is a huge encouragement to know it's not about how fancy I can be or how many stories I can tell, but what does God have to say this morning? And so this morning, we're going to hear a great encouragement to pray. And so it seems only appropriate that we would start this message in prayer. So let me lead us in prayer. Lord, we do come and ask, would you speak to us? Um, Lord, you have chosen throughout history to work through broken vessels, through warped people, through sinful people. And yet your, mag your majestic word comes through every time. Uh, Lord, we look at the people who've written the scriptures. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Um, Moses was anything but perfect. He couldn't even enter the, the promised land because of his imperfection. And yet, Lord, your, your word comes through exactly as you intended it. So thank you that you speak through, uh, through broken vessels, through warped hands, through um, clouded minds. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be clear thinking, that we would be uh, ready to receive by the power of your spirit the word that you have uh, brought to us today. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe, especially, Lord, those who are persecuted, those who are being uh, persecuted for their faith. Uh, Lord, I think of the, the, um, the tiny sliver of a church in Syria right now uh, hanging on and, uh, and facing immense oppression. Lord, for the church in Iran that's almost eradicated, they have chased them out. Um, Lord, for the church in China, which for a while was, was uh, surging and doing so well. Lord, still in large numbers, but I've heard recently that the Chinese government burnt to the ground 20 churches in one day. And uh, Lord, we know that that means that the believers there are having to be very careful. So Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the globe. Father, we ask, preserve their faith. Keep them strong, believing that Jesus will bring justice to their cause. And Lord, I, I thank you for their witness and their testimony to those who persecute them. Um, Lord, would you increase our strength too, though we don't face persecution in the same way. Uh, Lord, the, the faith of the, um, that has been handed down to the saints has faced opposition. And so we pray that we'd be careful to listen to your word um, by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's been a while since we've been in Luke, huh? Um, three weeks ago, it was Jeff and uh, Revive AB came and preached. And then a couple of weeks ago, Dan did uh, um, Palm Sunday and asked us, what did you expect uh, when Jesus came? And then last week was Easter, and, and we looked at the audacity of the resurrection. 
And so it's been a little bit since we've been in Luke. So just as a reminder, uh, Luke starts out his letter explaining to a man named Theophilus that he wants him to be sure of the things that he's learned. That somebody has told Theophilus about who Jesus is and what's been going on. And so he wants, Luke says, I went and I talked to everybody I could find. And I got these facts down as tight as I could. And so I want you, dear Theophilus, to be sure of these things. And I, my premise, my, my guess, my understanding of what the book of Luke is about is he wants us to be better disciples because disciples are learners. We, hear, we have a master who teaches us and we're learners who listen and follow what he says. And so Luke writes to Theophilus and he writes to us and he says, I, Trinity, I want you to be sure of the things that you've been taught. I want you to really understand who Jesus is so that you can follow him better, so that you can walk with him. And so where we're at in the book of Luke is we're about halfway through chapter 18. We're in this long teaching section by Jesus. And, and the way I've been approaching each one of these sections is Jesus is showing us what it means to be a, a good disciple. Luke has, has brought these stories together in the order that he has because he wants us to see this is what it means to be a good disciple. And so this morning we're going to look at the parable about prayer. Now, verse 1 starts really clear, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart. So guess what this section's about? Not too hard, was it? I, I, you get to something like this and you go, thank you, Luke, because other parables, he doesn't give you that introduction. You're kind of like, huh? You know, you got to work with it. But this one, he lays it out for us. And I think, that's, I think there's a reason that, that the Bible has verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1 in it. First of all, we're dense. And sometimes we need to have things spelled out for us. And so, um, so Luke wants us to, to be really clear about this. This is what this is about. Don't lose sight of that. Um, so he, he spells it out for us because he wants us to be sure. But also, it's telling us Jesus told this parable for a reason. Um, sometimes when we think about parables, people ask, well, why did Jesus teach in parables? And I've heard it said, well, he teaches in parables so that we would remember the lesson. And, and, you know, so he tells these memorable stories, and, and I think there's a degree of truth to that, because you do remember these kind of stories. But Jesus said, look, I'm teaching in parables so that those outside the kingdom won't get it, and so those inside the kingdom will. So he teaches in parables so that we will get it, in order that we will understand. That's why he, te he tells these stories like that. And then this particular story, he says, he, he told us this parable to the effect that we ought to always pray and not lose heart because Jesus knows that we're made out of dirt, that we will not always pray. He knows that we are prone to lose heart. And so this is why Jesus is telling us, he's like, look, you guys, I understand the, the predicament you're in. I understand where you're at in the world, and I want you to do this because you need to persevere in prayer. You, you really need to, and so I want to instruct you in this so that I can encourage you to do that because you're prone not to. And I know I'm prone not to. Um, there's a, a, a book written by Oswald Sanders uh, called Spiritual Discipleship. And in it, Sanders has, uh, he goes through different, these chapters are real short, talks about different discipleship issues. When he talks about prayer, he quotes somebody and he says, if I wish to humble anyone, I should question him about his prayers. And isn't that true? You hear me come up here and say, we're going to talk about prayer. And if you're wise, everybody's pulling their feet back behind their chair because we're about to step on toes. But I want you to understand, I'm about to step all over my own toes. <laughs> so as we talk about prayer, it's a common thing for us to wrestle with it, to struggle. Do I pray enough? Am I a good prayer? Do I pray often? Do I pray consistently? 
Um, so if we all want to be humbled, and I'm in this, this bucket with us all, let's talk about prayer. Um, anybody feel that they pray plenty? Probably should scale back on their praying because they pray too much. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> I know I don't. So the, the, the premise there is Jesus wants us to pray and not lose heart. And the, the way he's going to get us to that point, the, the point he's going to make to strengthen our desire to pray, our hope in prayer, is actually a bit of a surprise. It's because of justice. I wasn't expecting that when I looked at this, but look through this section and, and listen to what is said. The widow goes to the judge and says, give me justice. Um, she says, give me justice against my adversary. In Greek, the word for adversary is anti-justice. Anti-dikeo. Um, it means adversary. It means somebody who's against you, but the root there is that word for justice. So give me justice against my anti-justice, the one who's oppressing me. The judge says, I will give her justice because she's driving me nuts. And then Jesus refers to the judge as an unrighteous judge. The NIV says an unjust judge. And that's a better word because it's that same root word, this judge who doesn't do justice. And then finally, Jesus promises twice in verses 7 and 8, God gives justice. He, he does. And so what's woven through this short little parable is this idea of justice. And I think it comes in to strengthen our prayer life in a kind of a surprising way. So let's go through this section and see what this parable has to do with prayer and justice and how they fit together. So he begins by setting up the story. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This is the champion, first-class, dirtbag judge. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about people. He cares about himself. So he is, he is the worst example of the judge you can think of. He doesn't respect God. He doesn't fear God, and he doesn't respect people. But he's a judge. Does that sound familiar? Do we have any politicians who might be kind of big dirtbags that we don't respect, you know, figure they don't care about anybody but themselves? Yeah, this is a common human problem. This hasn't started in the United States in the 1970s onward. This has been a perpetual part of human ex existence as there are people who are just in for themselves. So there's this judge in this certain city. And then there's a widow who comes to this judge and keeps coming to him and says, give me justice against my adversary. And so what you get is these two people. The widow in this story um, the, the Bible always portrays the widow as the marginalized, the most vulnerable in society. Widows and orphans are the most marginalized, the most vulnerable in society. They have no one to provide for them, no one to care for them. Um, I always thought of this as, you know, a widow as an older lady. This might be a younger woman. Remember, back in these times, women married at 13. And so this could be a young, a young woman. It doesn't necessarily mean an old woman. It's just she's a widow. And she has someone who is oppressing her, someone who's denying her justice, an adversary. And uh, some of the commentators thought this had to do with finances. I, I don't know where they got that. I didn't see any financial hints in here. But whatever it is, there's somebody who's oppressing her. She has a live, a living, a real adversary. Um, so what does she do? She doesn't have the power to oppose this adversary. She has no way to get justice out of this. So she appeals to the, ju the, judicial, the judicial system, even with Judge Dirtbag on the bench. That's, that's all she has. Um, in this parable, this is us. We're God's people. We're the ones who have a live, living, active adversary. We are the ones who are, who are calling out for justice against this adversary. And this adversary 
Peter will use that same word to talk about Satan as an adversary. But it's also talking about just the, the things that are arrayed against us, sin, the world. All of these things are arrayed against us. And, and so we're this, this widow. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to address these, um, these adversaries, these, those things that oppose us. And so we have to appeal to a, a higher authority. The judge is a foil for God, the exact opposite of who God is. And he's there to, shut, to set up this stark contrast between that judge and who God is. And so the, the judge doesn't care about God or man. He, he disobeys the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Nope, not doing that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forget my neighbor. So he's, the, he's supposed to be set up as this mirror opposite of who God is. And so what happens? Well, the, um, the woman comes to him, and it says in verse 4 and 5, for a while he refused. So she would come into the courts, and he'd go, hit the road, lady. I haven't got time for you. Um, I'm not going to get anything out of hearing your case. You don't have any money to bribe me with, and your adversary's already winning, so I'm getting nothing out of this. So he's like, get. I don't even want to hear it. But she keeps coming back and keeps coming back. That's kind of the blessing of the position she's in. She's got nothing to lose, right? She doesn't have to close her stall at the market. She doesn't have to worry about leaving the slaves in charge of all the goods. She doesn't have to worry about leaving the flocks in the field to come to the judge. She's got all the time in the universe to come to the judge and say, give me justice. And so for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That it really is a hilarious sentence. Do you see what he says? I am Judge Dirtbag. Even though that's true, <laughs> I am going to yield to this woman because she's driving me up a wall. She keeps bothering me. I've got more important things to do. So if I don't deal with this, she's going to keep nagging me. And he says, I will give her justice so that she doesn't beat me down. This is a hilarious side, but I think it's really funny. That, that term for beat me down, um, it has to do with punching somebody in the eye. It's literally, this is the only word place in the Bible this appears, but it has to do, she's going to give me a black eye. Um, I think that's speaking metaphorically for wearing me down, punishing, you know, beating me to a pulp kind of thing. Uh, not that she was threatening the judge with physical violence, but that's the kind of picture. So Jesus tells a story, and the way he told that is hilarious to me. She is just going to wear me out. She keeps coming at me. So the NIV says, uh, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Um, I don't think that was the danger, but... That gets at that. Uh, the NASB, the New American Standard, the margin underneath it says, literally, hit me in the eye. <laughs> so th this is what the judge is thinking, is it's all about me, and she is wearing me down. She's really bugging me, and there's a danger that I'm going to get hit in the eye. <laughs> I won't be as pretty as I currently am because I'll have a big black shiner or something like that. So th that's the attitude this judge has. Um, so that's the parable. That's, that's the story. And I think it's just hilarious, but Jesus picks it up, and, and he doesn't say what I thought he would say. He doesn't say, observe the widow. In verse 6, he says, hear what the unrighteous judge has to say. Pay attention to the judge in this story. He, he draws our attention not to the righteous widow who is going to come and plead with this judge. Instead, he says, look at the judge. 
And what he's doing is he's setting up this huge contrast. He says, if this unrighteous judge won't, will finally break down and give her justice, he says in verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So here's the contrast as he looks at that unrighteous judge and he says, the widow wore him out and he was opposed to her. God is on your side. God, you are God's elect. He has chosen you from the foundation of the world. And when you come to him, is he going to oppose you? Is he going to be slow to give you justice? Is he going to not answer your prayers? Does he delight in looking good while making you look bad? He says, no, this is not what it's going to be like. God will answer you speedily. So there's this book that I'm going to refer to. Um, it's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And if at the end of the sermon you really want to improve your prayer life, I would recommend you read that book. It is not super technical. It doesn't get into a bunch of theology of prayer. It's extraordinarily practical and very human. He addresses us as people and encourages us and gives us plenty of ways to see into prayer. And so, um, so it's, it's A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, I don't have a physical copy because I have it on my Kindle, and I just didn't think it would be helpful to hold my Kindle up and go, here it is. <laughs> so if you, if you want a, uh, an encouragement to pray, I'd, I'd recommend that book. Uh, what Miller said when he looked at this parable is he said, the persistent widow got access not because she was strong, but because she was desperate. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. It's got to be learned. Naturally, in and of ourselves, we think, well, I'm sufficient. I can handle this. You know, I've got the skills. I've got the money. I know the connections. I can handle this stuff. The, the ultimate reality is that's not true. That simply is not true. You can't handle it. The only reason you do handle it is God's grace. And so we have to learn dependence. We have to learn desperation. We have to remember on a daily basis, I am totally dependent on God at this moment. Learn desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Once you recognize your, des your desperation, that you are lost without him, it will lead you into a life of prayer. It will take you to the place where you go, God, I really do need you at this moment. And so that's why Jesus brings this up. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He bent, his will was bent to her because she kept bugging him. Your father is already inclined in your direction. He has already got a heart for you. How much more, how much quicker will he answer you? How much more speedily will he come to you? Now, I hope you're thinking what I'm thinking at this point. It sure don't feel like that sometimes. Do you have things that you've been praying for for years and you've seen no change whatsoever? I have, there's things I, I wake up in the middle of the night praying about. And I haven't seen a lick of difference in them. So how is it that we put those two things together, that God will bring justice, he will give you what you're asking for, and he will do it speedily, and yet it's been years? Because it's easy to stand up and talk about prayer and put it in really lofty terms, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, we have to realize God sometimes doesn't answer us right away. He doesn't answer us the way we want to. Well, one of the things to keep in mind is the promise from 2 Peter 3.9. Peter talks about 
his God's desire for everybody to come to repentance. But in the midst of it, he makes this promise. He says, the, low, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some, uh, some count slowness. So just because it hasn't happened in the timeline that you have determined it should happen in doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't mean he's not listening. It doesn't mean he doesn't answer prayer. That's why Jesus at the beginning has to say, look, this parable is so that you will persevere in prayer. So that you will keep beating on the doors of heaven. So that you will keep coming to your father with that request over and over again. Because I know you're going to lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep asking. So it's okay if I wake up in the middle of the night worried about this thing and pray about it and, and I haven't seen change for a long time. That's the point of the parable is keep asking. Keep coming to the Father. The idea of justice comes in because of this, the last part of this parable, the last line in it. And it seems odd. It's an odd thing for Jesus to say. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You just told us to pray. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's a curious thing to tack on to the end of a parable about prayer. That name, Son of Man, it's one of Jesus' favorite names for himself, but it has eschatological overtones to it. In, in Daniel, when Daniel has a vision, he sees the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory and bringing justice. So when Jesus refers to himself, in this term at least, as the son of man, he's looking towards the eschaton, looking toward the end, when he returns. And so he says, when the son of man comes in clouds of glory, attended with his angels, when he returns to this earth, will he find faith on earth? It feels like in America, faith in God is fading. Statistically, you can look at, at surveys and you can see now the nuns outweigh Christians in America. And by the nuns, I don't mean the ladies with the habits who have prayer beads. I'm talking about those, if you ask them, what's your religious affiliation, they would say none. N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. So the nuns now outweigh Christians in America. It feels like Christianity is fading. So when Jesus asked this question, for me, it cinched up my heart a notch or two. I was like, yeah, will he find faith on the earth? Well, one of the most important things Americans can learn is the globe. It's much bigger than America. There's more states out there than America. And so when Jesus comes, will he find faith in America? Yes, to some degree. Maybe huge, maybe little. We don't know. But Jesus is asking the question about the entire earth. A friend of mine from seminary and from the church we attended when I was in seminary uh, named Darren, uh, he started a ministry called TLI, Teaching Leaders International. And he goes, uh, I called it seminary in a box. He takes trained leaders from America into the field in different places and teaches pastors in these growing, emerging fields. Well, Darren recently moved to Athens. And it was a very strategic move. He moved to Athens because Athens is where there's a huge inflow of people from Africa coming into Europe. There, there are tons of them are funneling through Athens, and he saw it as a really strategic place. So he's moved there, and over the last couple of weeks, Darren has been updating his Facebook profile with stories. And so what I want to encourage you is I want to read a few, handful of his stories to let you know Jesus will find faith on this earth in places you don't expect it. 
So Darren says, I was with an African brother this week, or I'm sorry, an Afghan brother this week. He told of sharing the gospel with three Pashtun men who believed, or one believed, the other two said they want to hear more. Pashtun, uh, many are Taliban, are some of the most formidable Muslims to reach with the gospel. So these, these Pashtun people have come to Athens, and this Afghan has shared the gospel with them. And one of them believed, and two of them want to hear about it. You wouldn't expect the Pashtun to hear it, because they're so, Islam is built into their identity. Uh, he tells another story. He said, this is a longer and beautiful story behind this, but a woman who tried to prove Christianity wrong despaired so much that she attempted suicide. After attending Bible studies in church, and she began to uh, being, uh, oh, and, and being cared for by Christians, she no longer had questions, and being brought quite low, came home one day and hid behind the couch in her small apartment in Greece to pray to Jesus. So she's a Muslim. She set out to disprove Christianity and is confronted with the truth of it. So she comes home and hides behind the couch so that she can pray to Jesus. She didn't want her family to see what she was doing. She didn't know whether she was awake or asleep, but she said she saw a man in white who walked into the room and said her name and said, um, like I have told you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he disappeared. And she now serves refugees. Jesus came to her as in her prayers and answered her. Another one, a family was crossing the sea to Greece by boat from Turkey. So they're sailing from Turkey trying to get to Greece. Um, their small daughter fell off the edge. When they looked around, they didn't see her anywhere. So as the boat's on the, the sea, their little daughter falls off the edge, and they rush over, and they're looking, and they can't find her. They were afraid that they'd lost her. And suddenly they looked, and there she was, dry on the other side of the boat. She kept repeating that a man in white walked on the water and picked her up and put her back in the boat. They thought she was crazy. They'd never heard anything like that before. When they arrived on the island of Lesbos, there was a man who sat with them and told them that he was a Christian. He then shared the story of a God who walked on the water. The entire family started crying and told them about their daughter. The way he tells the story is that he has never used that story to share the gospel before, but he just felt led to do it. The whole family became Christians. So when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? Yes, he will. And do you know why he will? Because he, he will personally ensure that there will be faith on the earth. He will go out and call his people. He will hear, his elect can pray to their God, pray to their Father, and he will hear them. He will gather his people to himself. So in one way, the answer to that question is rhetorical. He's asking not to discourage us as our nation begins to fade, as the Western culture begins to deny the Christianity that made them so great. Instead, he's asking that question to remind us the globe is much bigger than Western culture. And I will have my name announced among all the nations. I will go to the ends of the earth. And so that's how he's going to do these things. That's how he's going to bring the message forward. But also, and this is where that justice begins to tie back in, when he returns, when he returns, Jesus is going to return. When the Son of Man comes, he is going to come. And when he comes, what is he going to do? Is he going to applaud the great work that everybody's done on the earth? 
He is going to return as a reigning king. He is going to establish his throne over all nations, over all peoples. He is going to reign in justice. And so as we are oppressed, as his people coming from Syria, coming from Lebanon, coming from uh, Iraq and Iran, coming from the Kurdish people, as he calls his people to himself, he is not ignorant of the injustice that they have suffered. He will come, and he will establish justice on the earth. So here, the unrighteous judge, he gave up because the lady wore him down. He hated justice. Jesus said so much. He called him an unjust judge. Jesus comes. Jesus loves justice. He seeks justice. He will establish justice on the earth. And so we pray to him because we know what he wants will be just. Now, there's a, there's a typical struggle that people have with prayer. When I pray, am I changing God's mind? Am I informing him of something he was not aware of? Jesus himself said, look, my father knows what you ask before it even leaves your lips. And so sometimes people go, well, then why should I pray? If God already knows, what, what's my prayer doing? Um, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He was asked about prayer uh, right after his wife died. And he says, I don't pray to change God. I pray to change me. And I thought, that's kind of hokey. I don't know about that. But think about this for a minute. I'm not going to pray to God and inform him. Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but your church is being persecuted around the globe. And you really ought to do something about that. What did Jesus tell us would ensure that our prayers are answered? If you pray anything in my name, the Father will hear. If you pray according to his will, anything according to God's will, God will answer. So when we pray, we're told to pray constantly, to pray about everything, to pray regularly. I don't think that means that we are informing God. I think what it means is we're informing ourselves. As we see how God is working in these things, we watch what does it mean to pray in God's name? What does it mean to pray in God's, according to God's will? Well, you watch how he works these things out. And our prayers then respond with God in that environment. And you say, now I see what he's up to. Or maybe I don't. But maybe I will. And so it tunes us in to exactly what God is doing in the world. And so why does God want us to pray? He wants us to watch and go with him and say, this is what I'm up to. This is what I'm doing. So how do you pray and not lose heart? Well, as I said, the first thing is you got to be honest with yourself. Jesus knew you would lose heart, and so he told a parable to you to not lose heart. So don't be surprised when you struggle with prayer. Um, I've used this quote before. I'm going to do it again because it's a great quote. This is from John Bunyan. Um, in 1662, John Bunyan was in prison in London for being a preacher, an unlicensed preacher. He was a Baptist. <gasps> Can't have Baptist preaching, so they threw him in jail. And so he wrote a, a thing called the Discourse on Prayer, and in the middle of it, he says this. And verily, may I speak my own experience? And from that, tell you the difficulty of praying to God as I ought. It is enough to make your poor, blind, carnal man to entertain strange thoughts of me. For, as for my heart, when I go to pray, I find it so loath to go to God. And when it, was, when it is with him, so loath to stay with him. That many times I am forced in my prayers first to beg of God that he would take mine heart and set it on himself in Christ. And then when it is there, that he would keep it there. 
Nay, many times I know not what to pray for. I am so blind, nor how to pray. I am so ignorant. Only, blessed by grace, the Spirit helps us in our infirmities. This is not a new phenomenon where because of the internet, because we have cell phones, because of all these things, we are distracted from prayer. Here's a man in prison. What did he have to worry about that day? He didn't have a job at this point. He's locked in prison. And he says, look, every time I go to prayer, I hate to go. I, I drag myself into prayer. And once I'm there, I have to hold myself down. So take that as an encouragement. It's a natural part of humanity that we are resistant to prayer. The internet makes it a lot more easy to be distracted. Our cell phones and telephones ringing and television on and newspapers and all that make it a little bit more easy, but it's a human condition. We are struggling to pray. So back to Paul Miller's A Praying Life. He offers some practical tips, and so I adapted his list a little bit. I want to offer you a, couple of, a handful of practical tips on, on how to pray. Now, I'm assuming that you will get up in the morning and pray first thing in the morning, because that's what I do. And I'm the standard by which everything else is judged or something. It's just a convenient time. But whatever time works for you, just pay attention to this. So the first thing that you have to remember uh, if you're going to get up in the morning and pray is to go to bed. Right? You go to bed and then you get up in the morning. Um, That means don't stay up till 2 a.m. playing video games or reading the latest thing on the Internet about what somebody said about somebody else. Be intentional. Say, if I'm going to get up at this time, I have to go to bed at this time. And, and if you have an iPhone, there's an app in there that's called Sleep. They had to create an app for it. And it says, if you want to wake up at this time, go to bed here, and, we'll, and I'll alert you and tell you go to bed now. Um, I don't listen to mine, but I should. So <laughs> go to bed with the intention, I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable amount of time, get a decent amount of sleep, so when I wake up first thing in the morning, I can get down to prayer before I start my day. So be intentional. That's the way to do something is to be intentional about it. The next step after you go to bed, get out of bed. That's been my weakness over the last couple of weeks. When we went back to the Midwest, it was cold, and I didn't want to get up. And so now, you know, it's, it's 56, and boy, that's really cold. <laughs> I got pampered. And so you have to actually swing your feet out of the bed and stand up. You, you just need to get out of bed. And, and get your day started. Say, I'm, I'm, my alarm has gone off. I'm going to get out of bed and go do it. So get some sleep and then get out of bed. Find a quiet place. Um, people are different. Some people, if you play music, they can't concentrate. For me, if I hear a human voice, I can't concentrate. So I have to go hide. I have to go find some place where I, I'm, I'm not distracted by things. So find a quiet place. And make that your regular routine. Make that your place to go to. So you get up early. You go find this quiet place, you go hide there. Um, and then Miller says, get comfortable. I'm going to argue with that. If I get comfortable, you know what I do? I go right back to sleep. <laughs> so get somewhat comfortable. Um, I have a, 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 um, a couch in my sunroom that I like to sit on, and the sun comes up, and I can hear the birds, and it's somewhat comfortable, but it's not comfortable unless I turn the other direction and fall asleep. Sometimes I'll go to the kitchen table and sit on the chairs because they're wooden and hard and uncomfortable. So whatever it takes, get to that place where you're going to be awake and aware and praying. And then the hard part, the the difficult next step is start praying. So for me, I have to put my cell phone down. I have to push it away. I have to close my laptop. I have to put that book aside. I have to stop thinking about my day for a minute and start praying. 
And there are 10,000 things that are going to distract them. You have to make the mental effort to say, no, I'm going to put them aside now. And right now, I'm going to start praying. The internet is not going to change in the, the 20 minutes I'm praying or 10 minutes or 5 minutes I'm praying. That, that, that the, the, the views of the world are not going to alter in that time period. It's okay if you sit down and do that. So you actually have to start praying. And the way to start praying is to start praying. Is to do a thing, you just do it. And, and it doesn't have to be perfect. That was one of the greatest things I learned from Paul Miller's book is it doesn't have to be perfect. So you start praying and suddenly your mind's back on that thing you gotta work on later today. And, and like for me, sometimes I'll, I'll start praying and the next thing you know, I'm preaching a sermon or teaching a lesson in my head. And I go, Father, I'm sorry, you don't need to hear this sermon. <laughs> I really apologize. But you know what that's a good thing? Is at that point you can go, wait a minute, let me pray about that. Lord, would you bless this sermon? Lord, I'm going to teach on Tuesday this weird mathematical thing. Would you bless that class? So if it comes up, it needs to be prayed for. Pray for it. And then get back to praying. So you just have to start praying. And then train yourself to stay in prayer. So as those things come up, you respond, you pray. And then you continue to focus. And the thing is, you don't need to pray right off the bat. Um, Monday morning, if you haven't prayed in a, in, you know, regularly in a quiet time dedicated to prayer, don't think Monday morning you're going to have to start and pray 45 minutes straight. I would not ask you to go out and run with me. <laughs> Actually, I probably would because I haven't run in a couple of months. But if, I was, if you said I wanted to start running, I would not take you out and say, let's go run three miles. I would say, you know what, let's go walk for a little bit and run for a little bit. So when you start praying, if you've decided this morning you're going to dedicate yourself to pray, start small. Smart, start at what you can handle. Can you pray for five minutes about whatever comes to mind? Can you pray for ten minutes? Start where you are. And then train yourself to stay in prayer. So you start with what you've got and, and do that for a while until you feel comfortable. And then take the next step and say, I'm going to add something on. So... Um, once you start getting better at it, once you start growing in it, create a prayer list. Um, for years, I have fussed over prayer lists. I have talked to people, and they have journals, and they have papers, you know, sheets of paper written out. They have books they write in. And you know the best way to, to create a prayer list is the way that you'll use. So if you have it on your iPad and you can clock through it, that's great. Yeah, for me, I have a piece of paper that I print out, and I just scribble on it every time I pray for y'all. I got the whole church listed in there, and, and I pray for handfuls of people, and I go through that. Um, for ministries, whatever it is, create a prayer list. Whatever works for you, experiment. Don't be afraid to fail. And as you're growing in your prayer, you can start praying for that list and start growing in how many people you pray for at a time how much more you can get, um, get your hands around. So create a prayer list because it will help you grow in your prayers um, as you're praying for things specifically. Um, and then the cool thing is after you've got this prayer list, don't throw them away. Right? As you line things out, don't throw them away. Put them in the back of your Bible. And then when you get up in the morning and you look, you can look back and say, look at God answered this. Look at God answered this. Look at God answered this. Lisa does a journal with date entries, and so there's times where we, when we can go back and look at, look at how God answered these prayers. I had totally forgotten we had prayed for this. And look at how God has answered that prayer. That is an encouragement to pray some more because one of the problems we have with prayer is it doesn't do anything. I sit down, I close my eyes, and nothing happens, and I don't understand what's going on. Well, something magnificent is happening, you just don't see it happening before your eyes. So sometimes that prayer list can be a clue, and you look back and go, wow, I forgot about that. That's great. And remember, God is faithful. 
He is not slow to answer his people's prayers. He is not the unjust judge. He's quick. He wants to be with his people. So do that. Write them down. Review them. Look them over. And if you want to get a good place started on the prayer list, indicate on your communication card that you want to be part of the prayer chain. And we send an email out with the, the prayers that are listed on the communication card and say, yep, and we'll email it to you. That is a great thing to pick up on your phone or your iPad and look at that. But you've got to put it away real quick after you pray through it. So pray through those prayers, and you're praying for each other. And, and you'll be amazed at how that can help by having that list. And then finally, I think the biggest way that we can learn to pray better is to pray with others. It's to just simply pray with other people. Um, every third Friday, we gather here in the, in the coffee room in the, the library over there, and we pray. We just try to keep it to an hour and get down to business and pray. But it's really encouraging to hear other people pray with you because they're going to pray for something maybe you never thought of. And maybe they're going to pray more boldly about this thing you've always felt kind of defeated in. And now all of a sudden, hey, I'm feeling better about that, and I'll pray for that too. So there's something about praying together. And so pray together. Pray with other people. That is such a huge encouragement. It can really build and bolster your faith. So Jesus wants us to persevere in prayer. And one of the things I think he said there is, he says, don't lose heart, persevere in prayer. And one of the things I think that tips our hat to is he knew it was going to be a long time before he returned. Because his people would, would look at it, it's been 2,000 years, and he's not come back yet. And he says, yes, I know, persevere in prayer and don't lose heart. But Jesus, you were supposed to return in that first generation, and I know. But persevere in prayer and don't lose heart. Keep plugging along. Keep working on it. Keep in prayer because that's how you keep in, in communication with me. That's how you, you, you gather with me as, as my people as you continue to pray. So struggle to pray because the world is an unjust place. There is tons of injustice in this world that needs to be prayed about. So pray for the justice in this world. Pray because God's people are opposed by the adversary. You are opposed by the adversary. There is a devil who wants to undo your faith, who wants to drag you away from Christ. There is a world who wants to portray life without God as normal, as real, as, as good. There is a sin residing in your own heart that says, yeah, I kind of like that. You need to pray because you have an adversary. You have somebody opposed to the, the savior of your soul. Pray without losing heart because God's people are inadequate to deal with these adversaries and these injustices themselves. You can't do it. You can't. But you know someone who can. And that's how you connect is, is you pray with them. Pray without ceasing. Pray and don't lose heart because there is a judge who loves you and hates that injustice. And he's coming. He will return. He will answer our prayers. He promised you. He answered them speedily. Your Father in heaven loves to have you come to him over and over and over again, trusting him, asking for more, and taking delight when he answers. So pray. Pray without giving up. Pray without losing hope. No matter what the theological problems are with a sovereign, omniscient God asking people to pray, the truth is a sovereign omnipotent God has asked you to pray. So don't worry about the fine details of how it works. Come to him because if he wasn't sovereign, why would you pray to him? He can't do anything about it. 
Lord, there's injustice in the world. Yeah, I know, but I'm not really in control, so I can't really do much. And would you want to pray to an omnipotent or an omniscient God, a God who, or, I'm sorry, an omnipotent God who has all power and is not omniscient, who doesn't already know what you want, you, what you are going to pray about? He would have the power to do something and not know the repercussions of it. That's terrifying. So the fact that God is omniscient and omnipotent is actually an encouragement to prayer. So let's pray to him and don't lose heart. Let's do that now. Lord, you are better than the unrighteous judge. And, and, and Father, I confess, I sometimes I don't think I believe that. I don't think I act like I believe it. So, Lord, I thank you for this parable to remind me that I don't have to threaten you with a black eye. You want to answer prayers. You want to answer them. You want justice in this world. And you're bringing it about when Jesus returns. He will be the judge. He will be the king who rules over all. And so, Father, I pray for myself, first and foremost, as the chief among these sinners anyway, help me to pray better. Help me to pray more often. Help me to pray without losing hope, without losing faith. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would all be gathered to pray together to you. Lord, help us to pray for each other, pray with each other. And pray for this broken and fallen world that there would be justice. Lord, fill us with the faith that we need to trust you in those things so that we would pray without losing hope. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.